1: Welcome to the RotoWire Fantasy Football podcast brought to you as always by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code RotoWire when you deposit for a free contest entry today. It is Wednesday, August 12th. I'm Nick Whalen, joined as I will be every Wednesday this season by RotoWire Zone Mike Doria. Mike is our NFL lead editor/office foodie. Mike, good to have you back on the podcast. How's it going?
3: Pretty good. I I like, I like the title, office foodie. Nice.
1: Yeah, yeah, I guess I kind of gave you that title without your permission, but you're
3: okay with that? That's okay. I, I enjoy lunch as much as anyone, and um, yeah, with uh, we're, I think ESPN today was saying that we're 29 days away from uh, the, uh, the first game. Um, on It's the uh, Patriots and, uh, and the Steelers there on, on the 10th, I guess, and uh, yeah, so we got a few more of these uh, sort of unstructured uh, podcasts before we get into our injury format, so uh, good to be back.
1: Yeah, and like Mike said, we'll be talking mostly injuries once the NFL regular season kicks off, as most teams release their injury reports on Wednesdays. Um, you know, you talked a little bit about the Patriots already. The biggest news in the NFL today, uh, just under a month out from the start of the season, might be a god-awful court sketch of Tom Brady that has been making its internet rounds, especially on Twitter, throughout the afternoon. I thought you described this perfectly, and I ended up tweeting this out. I, I don't know if you're on Twitter, so you probably didn't see it, but you described it What's as... Twitter? <laughs> you described it as a Kevin Bacon statue carved out of a baseball glove. Well, you which took I the thought words, was
3: spot on. You took the words right out of my mouth. I I, I had planned that to be my uh, my one liner, but yeah, <laughs> I was, it at, at first glance there was a, there was a Kevin Bacon element, then there was a catcher's mitt element, and that just mm-hmm. kind of fused into one bad sketch. Um, I mean, I, I'm I'm definitely seeing that as an underrepresented uh, profession uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, courtroom sketches.
1: Right, for as much flag as the sketch is getting, do you think this courtroom sketch artist is in like hot water now? You know, are they in danger of losing their job now that they've been exposed on the internet? Well,
3: for those who believe that uh, you know, any publicity is good publicity, uh, the the artist who in question um uh, is in the conversation, but uh <laughs> yeah, it, you're right though. There was a lot of dialogue about the sketch and and right now there's not a lot of dialogue about exactly what's going to happen because nobody really knows. It's still very much a fluid situation. Brady was in New York today for a settlement hearing and uh it it's it's an ongoing process, uh but there there is talk that uh some sort of decision could be reached by September 4th, which of course would be you know good for people setting their their week one lineups in advance of that game, but uh For people that are drafting now or doing their auctions now, there's still a degree of uncertainty as to whether or not Brady will miss all four games, when he'll miss those games if he does, or conversely, if the uh, if it gets overturned. So, uh, you know, in terms of daily games, it's not going to really affect uh, much beyond the preseason. But uh, there's a lot of um, you know controversy as to Brady's value right now based on that, based on the uncertainty. As a Patriots
1: fan and a guy who's followed the team as closely as anybody that I know, are you a little bit more optimistic now after a couple of days of this than you were maybe a week or two ago?
3: I Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that there's a, a certain—things um, th- th- things are probably going to get expedited. I think we're going to know something before week one. And uh, I, I think that uh, it could actually work out in the Patriots' favor. So we'll see.
1: Right. And the thing is, it can't get any worse than four games, right? No. So, you know, the best case scenario here, I guess, for New England is that it's reduced or completely eliminated, but it can't be any worse than four games. So, I guess that's the good news there if you're looking at it from a Patriots fan yeah. perspective.
3: And in the meantime, uh, Brady mispracticed uh, on, on Tuesday and Wednesday, and that gave uh, Jimmy Garoppolo and newcomer Ryan Lindley a chance to get some uh, valuable practice reps. And, and it's widely assumed that Brady's not going to play. In uh, tomorrow and uh, Thursday's uh, preseason opener against the Packers, so once again Garoppolo gets some valuable reps, and uh, it's going to be hopefully a confidence builder for him. But uh, once again, the Patriots kind of get a chance to see what they have in Garoppolo, their second round pick from last year.
1: Right, and Brady probably wouldn't have played in week one of the preseason anyway. You know, being a veteran and being obviously the unquestioned starter. Or do you think he would have?
3: He might have seen some limited snaps, but. Uh, Belichick is one of those uh, if you don't practice you don't play types generally Mm -hmm. so uh, and and Brady's just been focused on other things he's I'm sure he's prepared to play when he needs to so the other guys need the reps more at this stage I think
1: right how much of Garoppolo do you expect to see you know we're kind of used to the system where especially early in the preseason teams will use two three four different quarterbacks just trying to see what they all have I mean Garoppolo is in a bit of a unique situation in that you know he's going into a season where he might end up as the opening day starter for the first four weeks. Are they going to try to give him extended looks, maybe play him, you know, three quarters of the game throughout the yeah, preseason? I'm
3: not exactly sure how deep they they would ideally like to have him go in the game, but they don't. If they're not going to play Brady, they don't have a whole lot of choice, given that Lindley just joined the team earlier this week, and I assume that he's not fully up to speed with the playbook, and I don't know how much they want to expose a quarterback that's just been around for a few days to uh, live, live defenses uh, working with a new playbook. And once again, it's, I just think it's been overall beneficial for Garoppolo to see work with uh, as many first-teamers as he can, and then as many reps in general uh, once the first-teamers come out.
1: Right, so the big thing we want to talk about today is the Rotowire Stake League auction, which took place Monday night. Uh, We'll kind of talk about the results of that, some of the surprises, some of the guys who maybe went for higher prices, lower prices than we expected. But before that, we'll get into some of the bigger injury and training camp news of the day. Um, This news came out yesterday afternoon, so Tuesday afternoon, Geno Smith out six to ten weeks after getting sucker punched by teammate, and I hope I'm saying this correctly, Ika Mefuna Enampali.
3: Does that sound right? It seems like every week we're going to have some sort of uh, name pronunciation issue. Last right. week was uh, Eifert.
1: Yeah, and me saying Blaine Gabbert instead of Blake Bortles. Um, well,
3: that's just a result of the traumatic Jaguars like <laughs> memories, I guess.
1: I think I need to get like a sensor uh, sound that I can play anytime I accidentally say uh, Blaine Gabbert, that we can just kind of beep that out so nobody has to hear that. Um, but. Yeah, so Geno Smith is out six to ten weeks, and that's at a minimum. Um, you know, broken jaw in, in yeah, multiple I, I'm places.
3: Things, yeah, I'm hearing that, that it might be in a couple places, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just not good. I, I've actually experienced the joys of a broken jaw as a citizen rather than as an athlete. And uh, at that time, I dropped a lot of weight. And, um, I mean, I imagine that besides the healing process for, for Smith, it, it, there has to be some concerns about uh, conditioning and energy level, Uh, when he's not able to eat solid food I'm I'm sure that in the NFL with uh, training and medical staff they're going to do their best to keep him as healthy and and keep him in as close to good shape as possible but that is a bit of an issue Uh, I mean he's not just going to be good to go right away I mean typically you get your jaw wired shut and you can't eat solid food for a while not fun
1: Right, and that's something that you really haven't heard talked about much. Is you have the six to ten week timetable, but then there's you know the reacquainting yourself to football, reacquainting yourself to taking big hits, and of course you know the strength that you're inevitably going to lose when you have your jaw wired shut. So, obviously the Jets are not in a great situation. They probably weren't in the greatest of situations before this happened. But who do you see taking over now? Is this Ryan
3: Fitzpatrick's job to lose? Well, I don't think there's any question that they're not ready to hand the reins over to Bryce Petty, and given that Geno Smith was he had his moments last year as we discussed I think last in last week's podcast um it it was a wise move to get a veteran backup um someone who has a large degree of uh, NFL experience and a great beard but uh I mean uh Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't have as high of a ceiling as Geno Smith he's he's just a more of a you know short passer looking for the intermediate passes and and I don't know. I think I think he could do okay. They have, as we discussed last week, when we mentioned Geno Smith in a, in a positive note, um, the Jets have assembled some good weapons around uh, their quarterbacks. I mean, they got Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker should pr- presumably be more healthy than he was last year. Uh, Jay Samaro developing tight end. Uh, they have a maybe not a spectacular running back core, but they have at least some depth there with with um, Ivory, Paul, Stacy, and and Ridley when he when he is fully healthy, so I mean there's there's definitely something to work with there for Fitz for Fitz, Fitzpatrick. So it's not the end of the world, but it's obviously not the way they wanted him to get the job. They would have preferred if either Smith or Fitzpatrick just played great in the preseason and they they went into it feeling good about it that way. But opportunity knocks, and and Fitzpatrick's worked uh, worked well in Changeli's offense in the past. Um, obviously with other teams, but uh, there is a precedent for Fitzpatrick maybe doing all right in this context.
1: Right, right, and you mentioned uh, the weapons around him. Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker are probably the two primary guys. How does this affect their value? I mean, is there really much of a change considering how much Geno Smith has struggled in the past?
3: Well, when you look at Marshall last year, take a look at his numbers, 13 games, 61 catches, 721 yards, and, and eight TDs. That was a major drop off for him. And I, I think it's very reasonable, regardless of the QB situation, to expect sort of a, a leap from those sort of numbers. Because after all, the, the previous two years with the Bears, he topped 100 catches. And I, I don't think the wheels are going to fall off that quickly. He's 31. He had some injuries last year. And I think the fresh start will, uh, you know, help reignite him. And as long as he can stay healthy, he's going to see a lot of targets. So, uh, I do feel that you know in the short short range pa- passing game he'll 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 be effective. I mean it's probably going to cost him some uh, hey uh, hey Brandon go long kind of plays, but uh, I think he'll be okay. Uh, same with Decker. I mean the ceilings may be a little bit lower as we were discussing before. Uh, I think a guy like Jeremy Curley out of the slot might see a few extra looks in the, in this in this scenario and uh, it might help the tight ends. Uh, moreover, uh, the run game, which they're probably going to rely on a fair amount anyway, gets a bit of a boost too. So Chris Ivory, if he, if he holds on to it, uh, I think he sees a little bit of a, a bump in value there.
1: All right. Elsewhere, Dwayne Allen and Kobe Fleener listed as co-starters on the Colts' early tight end depth chart. Um, which of these two guys do you have right now emerging as the starter
3: as camp goes on? Well, it's it's not really a who's the starter because they're both going to see the field a lot. Uh, they both had eight touchdowns last year, and and frankly, ideally, you don't want to root for anyone to get injured ever. But uh, ideally, if if somebody's unavailable, then the other guy suddenly becomes an excellent option. You know, as it is, uh, Fleener had fifty one catches, seven hundred seventy four yards, and eight TDs last year. He's more of a downfield kind of a traditional go out and catch passes and you know in the open kind of guy. Whereas Allen is more of a you know, hit-or-miss guy in the sense that he doesn't see quite as many targets. But he did, he did uh, turn eight of his 29 catches last year into TDs. So it, it's a tough one. I mean, they, they, they both have um, some utility in fantasy, but it's really hard to get fired up about a tight end committee in any context.
1: Right, and obviously it kind of hurts if you're drafting in the next week or two before we really have much more clarity on this. It kind of hurts both players' values. You really don't want to hit your wagon to one of them.
3: I mean, it's great for the Colts that they have two solid tight ends, very capable guys, but you know, you, you factor in the fact that uh, they have some pretty good talent at wideout, and they've added Andre Johnson and Phillip Gor- uh, Dorsett to the uh, to the core there. Uh, Frank Gore, not not a big patch, pass catcher the last few years with the 49ers, but earlier in his career, he, he, he was adept at that, so... Yeah, there's uh, only so many targets to go around, even with a great quarterback like Andrew Luck, and uh, that certainly applies to the tight ends. All
1: right, the Bills are a team we talked about on the podcast last week, the mess of a situation that they have at quarterback Matt Castle, Tyrod Taylor. They've been
3: upstaged by the Jets. They have.
1: They somehow have. Um, And it's it's also worth mentioning, we we glossed over this, I think, that the player who punched Geno Smith in the jaw – Ikeme, Funa, and Poly has been signed by the Buffalo Bills yeah, and Rex Ryan. Of course, I was wondering if you're going to
3: get you know take a second stab at that last name.
1: Yeah, I was really hoping to to, to <laughs> kind of just maybe mumble that through and hope people get the gist. But so he's been signed by the Bills yeah, as of Wednesday afternoon. It, it makes perfect sense. Of I mean, course, it does. Rex
3: Ryan is familiar with him. He is a, a draft choice of of the of the Jets under Rex Ryan. Uh, he's got some comfort with the uh, the player, and uh, yeah, I mean. Uh, the, the uh, linebacker whose name I'm not even going to try to pronounce um, you know he's probably going to be subject to some sort of discipline at, um, in the NFL but um, you know he's uh, he's definitely familiar with the system and he, and he gets a second chance um, you know I, I
1: have a hard time believing this is a he fits the system pick and it, I mean considering it's Rex Ryan who's making the move here, this has nothing to do with the fact that he punched a division rival and Rex <laughs> Ryan's
3: former employers quarterback in the face. I don't want to read too much into that, but uh, you know he punched a teammate in the face, he got cut there, were, there, there was consequences and I guess Rex Ryan just feels like he the kid deserves a chance. All right, so going chance, back I mean.
1: going back to the Bills' quarterback situation, not necessarily their backup six-round pick linebacker situation, Matt Castle's been getting the m- most of the snaps, uh, the first-team reps, that is, in practice, while Tyrod Taylor's been working with the second team. Um, those two guys appear to be kind of moving ahead of E.J. Manuel right now as
3: we enter week one of the preseason. Yeah, but you know, Nick, last week it was Castle had a great day and Manuel wasn't doing anything, and then the next day – we were reading reports that Manuel had a great, great practice. So, I mean, at the moment he seems to be lagging behind, and Ka- Castle seems to be ahead of the game at the you know for now. And he's going to start the the uh, preseason opener. Taylor is generating some some buzz, but uh, it's it's still wide open, wide wide open.
1: All right, so let's get into some of the quick injury hits of the day. Andre Ellington was limited at practice on Tuesday. Uh, there were reports that he did practice, but he ended up being limited. Um, he is expected to play in Saturday's preseason opener against Kansas City, so probably nothing to worry about there with
3: Ellington. I mean, in the short term, no. But generally, my main concern with uh, with owning Andre Ellington is the tendency for him to sustain injuries, and and he had some last year that that, that lingered, and uh, that's why a lot of people are very excited about David Johnson, the rookie, his, uh, one of his backups. But he's been hampered by a, a hamstring issue, which, which is a uh, has been diagnosed as a grade two. Hamstring strain, and uh, he's you know as long as he's off the field, it's it's not really helping his cause. And there's even been talk that uh, the Cardinals reached out to Chris Johnson, who is still out there in free agency. So I don't know, Andre, Andre Ellington, uh, good luck. I mean, uh, he went for thirty four dollars in our stake league auction last night. There's people that that have faith in him, but I, I I'm a little bit wary of him given his injury concerns, generally.
1: Right and rightfully so. Adrian Peterson missed practice on Wednesday with a thigh bruise. Sounds pretty precautionary here on the Vikings part. Nothing serious there. Um, I don't think he's slated to play this weekend in the preseason opener. I don't don't think he usually does. Yeah, I don't
3: think they're going to use him at all in the preseason. So the next time we see him actually, you know, in an NFL game will be in week one. Um, And as you said, the current injury situation is not believed to be anything serious. But it, it is kind of a reminder that he did not play uh, very much last year, he just got in the got in the one game, and uh, you have to wonder if uh, I mean there's there's one school of th- thought that says that the, the time off uh, gives him the his body some some needed uh, recuperation, you know, um, and he's he's got the fresh legs. But the other but on the other hand, um, he hasn't really absorbed the pr- punishment that he used to, and uh, we'll, we'll have to see how he holds up out of the gate. Um, I got uh, his backup uh in a in a league yesterday for a dollar in an in an auction format and I feel pretty good about that because um that's Jer- Jerick McKinnon and uh definitely a guy to like uh grab at the end game um if you uh you know invest in Peterson because a- as much upside as there is there um there is a certain degree of uncertainty cuz we haven't seen him on the field for a while Right, and
1: Peterson's been as much of a workhorse as any back when he is healthy, but it is kind of easy to forget that he's been nicked up ever since college, really, with the collarbone injury that he suffered his last year at Oklahoma, um, you know, obviously the torn ACL, so there is a possibility there. I think that's a smart play, just kind of, you know, grabbing his backup at such a low value that if Peterson does go down for any reason, all of a sudden that $1 uh, right. auction looks pretty great. Well, I
3: mean, there's just been an assumption that he's he's going to come back as, as, as good as he ever was, and while I don't think that that's a bad bet. uh, We can't take that for granted.
1: Right, exactly. Jermaine Gresham, new face in a new place. He's with the Cardinals now. Took part in drills during Tuesday's practice for the first time this camp. He's been dealing with a back injury. He's primarily competing with Darren Fells. it sounds like, for the starting tight end role. I don't know who Darren Fells is, but I think Jermaine Gresham (laughs) has a pretty decent chance to win this job if he can stay healthy.
3: Troy Nicholas is in the mix to a certain degree, but uh, Jermaine Gresham kind of got... He became redundant last year. With uh, I get a chance to try again, Tyler Eifert, uh, you know a, another first round pick. And uh, I mean he uh, he had 62 catches I believe last year for 460 yards and five TDs. He he put up some numbers. It's uh, the Cardinals are not really typically a tight end friendly offense, but I I do believe that he has the talent to claim the job. And now that he is uh, not like a in a one a one and 1A one situation like he was last year, um, he, he, he could emerge as kind of a, you know, lower level tight end in deep leagues or a, a, a solid backup in, in shallower formats. Jeremy Macklin's been dealing with the next
1: strain. He's back at practice Wednesday, um, expected to play in the preseason opener this weekend. And obviously he's Kansas City's number one wide receiver. They're not going to go a second straight year without
3: any wide receiver touchdowns, right? <laughs> no, that's not going to happen. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean it's not it wasn't necessarily 100% Dwayne Bowe's fault or the fault of the out core as a whole last year that that didn't happen. It was kind of a fluky stat. But uh Jeremy Macklin, he's uh further removed from a from a pretty serious uh, knee injury that he sustained with the Eagles. And uh, I mean he's he's clearly the number 1 option at out. I mean when you when you think of uh who's the number 2 out on the Chiefs, it's uh you know Albert Wilson is listed, uh, you know, as, as the guy currently on their uh, their in pencil depth chart. Um, DeAnthony Thomas is there, Jason Avant, um, Conley the rookie. So they're I mean, they're they're counting on him a lot, and uh, Travis Kelsey as well, the tight end. I mean those those two guys are the uh, the two main targets in the passing offense, um, other than when they they throw the running backs, obviously.
1: Right, D'Anthony Thomas is a guy I really like. He was one of my favorite players probably ever at the college level, just kind of that water bug type of guy, do it all, get out in space and, and make things happen. But he only had 14 rushing attempts last season, only 23 catches. He was dealing with a nagging hamstring injury, I think, for part of the year, so maybe that had something to do with it. But you know, is this a guy whose most of his value is going to come in the return game this year, or do you think Kansas City is going to maybe try to integrate him a little bit well, more?
3: Well, I mean, I think that I, I I kind of imagined him last year as – being, turning into like one of those Swiss Army knife players. I mean, a Percy that, Harvin type of guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Percy Harvin's a little bit, you know, that's the high upside version of, of that Swiss Army knife, but right. I was thinking more along the lines of Dexter McCluster, a, a, a guy who is definitely a useful player on any team in, in real terms, you know, the ability to do various things, uh, you know, serve as a running back, wide receiver in the return game, but it's just I, I'm not sure that he's just going to get the volume of of touches on a weekly basis to make him a fantasy you know a player that you can count on in fantasy I think I think he'll be a nice player I mean I think last year's numbers uh you know have maybe scared people away a little bit but uh there, there's some potential for him for him to like get involved in the offense but real tough player to own in uh fantasy I think
1: Right, and the biggest difference between him and maybe guys like McCluster or even Harvin is just the size. I mean, he's listed at 5'8", 176. So a guy who's probably going to be pretty injury-prone. I mean, you take a hard hit, and, uh, and he's a little more likely to, to maybe feel the repercussions of that. Uh, another guy who's been dealing with uh, plenty of injuries of his own, I guess, over his entire career, Darren McFadden. <laughs> he could be back on the practice field this weekend. Um, that, as you note here is the dangerous place where he usually gets injured, so not a lot of optimism surrounding McFadden in his new home
3: well i you know I hate to pick on him because we did that last week um, but he definitely has if if he was getting a job where like being injury prone was was a was gonna get them the job he'd have a great resume um you You always hope year after year that this is the year that he doesn't get injured, and he, the hamstring doesn't get pulled. But after three straight years, uh, over which he, you know, compiled a 3.3 yards per average with the Raiders, you wonder if those days are kind of behind him now. Given the awesomeness of the Cowboys' offensive line, well, if if um, Joseph Randall sustained an injury, uh, there's always a chance that McFadden could factor in. But I, I think pretty much, unless Randall gets hurt or you know something happens there, it's his job to lose. So McFadden is just kind of, a, at this point, a backup in real and fantasy terms. And then Dunbar is around to catch passes.
1: Right, just a few more items. Probably the best news of the day. Eric Berry is officially cancer-free, as the Chiefs announced, I think, a couple weeks ago. And he will play in Thursday's preseason opener against Arizona. Obviously, that's excellent news for yeah, anyone that's, that's around great. the NFL, especially Berry and the Chiefs. Um, he only played in six games last season after being diagnosed with Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, is he much of an IDP
3: target as far as defensive backs? I mean, I, first of all, I think it's just great that he's he's able to come back in any capacity, and I think that the the Chiefs are wise to bring him back slowly. I mean, prior to to uh, having that condition, he was he was a, a top-notch defensive player for the team. So, um, and I've also heard reports that uh, concerns over his conditioning, which w- would of course be valid given the treatment that he underwent, uh, he's he's supposedly looked pretty good in, uh, in practice. So I, I think they'll bring him along slowly. He's been working a lot with the second team, but down the road, he's he's going to probably regain his starting job. And uh, that's great news uh, for him, you know, for, for the Chiefs defense as a whole. And, and, and he's definitely, uh, when he's seeing the snaps, is a is a viable IDP. All right, the Pittsburgh
1: Steelers signed veteran kicker Garrett Hartley on Tuesday. Uh, This was later on Tuesday afternoon to replace the injured Sean Sweezim. He, of course, tore his ACL and will probably be done for the year, you would think. So is Garrett Hartley, you know, is he the guy now in Pittsburgh?
3: Well, I mean, I I don't see them signing anyone else right now unless Hartley struggles. Um, He he does have some NFL experience. and More importantly, he's going to be kicking behind a pretty solid offense there. I mean, the Steelers, you you take a look at it, you know, Roethlisberger at QB, Le'Veon Bell when 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 he comes back from his suspension, and then they've got Antonio Antonio Brown and 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 other decent pieces in the passing game. I mean, for a kicker, really, it's all about context, and I think Hartley has a good one. I, I mean, not that Pittsburgh in the winter is the ideal place to kick, but uh, behind that offense, like he goes from, you know, not being on the radar at all to like being a good streaming option in, in in daily games and also just a solid option uh, for those who draft or do auctions
1: all right last quick hit of the day delaney walker is back at practice for the titans um, this is an interesting situation you know obviously a team that hasn't been good over the last couple of years they kind of bottomed out last year ended up getting Mariota in the first round um you know do you see walker as kind of the safety blanket for marcus Mariota? he has some talent in the receiving core kendall wright Akeem nicks justin hunter um, you know, the kind of unknown rookie Doriel Green-Beckham who could end up being really good or could end up being a total disaster for them. So you really have a lot of question marks in the receiving core. Walker might be the most dependable option when he's healthy.
3: Um,
1: you know, do you kind of see him maybe getting a few extra targets just because of the comfortability he could develop with a rookie
3: quarterback? I mean, there is a tendency for for fantasy observers to assume that uh, when a young quarterback takes over that that the quarterback will look to uh, certain players as safety blankets and, t- and typically that involves um you know if, if they have a good rapport with their tight end that that's uh that's one thing and then slot receivers too sometimes but like I mean walker produced last year with whoever was quarterback for the uh for the Titans uh 63 catches um, 890 yards four touchdowns in 15 games and like you said there's a the, the, there's some talent in the wideout core but it's very like who knows how it's going to play out? I mean, the names you mentioned: Kendall Wright, Hakeem Nicks, Justin Hunter, uh, Harry Douglas, Dor- Doriel Green Beckham. Beyond Kendall Wright kind of being the number one option, I really have no idea how that's going to play out. You got a couple of uh, big, big target, uh, red zone threat guys in Hunter and Green Beckham. You have Douglas, who did well as the uh, Falcons' number three receiver, and Hakeem Nicks, bit of a wild card, you know think back to his years with the Giants he, he put up some good years so you know I think out of the gate Walker is definitely going to be heavily targeted till that whole whiteout situation shakes out and you know by the way their their run game is, is still very much a work in process in, in, in progress there so yeah that's that's yet one one more reason why you know Walker could be heavily targeted you know from the get-go
1: yeah we'll get our first look at Mariota and that Titans offense on Friday night when they open the preseason against Atlanta Football season is just a few weeks away at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com is America's favorite one-week fantasy football site where you can win enormous cash prizes each week. Last season, eight players won a million dollars in one day just playing fantasy football. Don't just dominate your season-long leagues in 2015, but also play one-week fantasy at DraftKings.com. Head over to DraftKings now. Enter promo code ROTOWIRE for free entry. DraftKings.com, bigger events, bigger winnings, bigger millionaires. Enter RotoWire for free entry now at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. All right, so let's talk about the RotoWire Stake League auction draft that went down on Monday night. Uh, me being a relatively new RotoWire employee, um, you know, compared to you at least, I'm not a member of this league. I guess this is maybe more for you know, some of the more veterans in the industry, like yourself, some of the guys who've been around a little bit longer. Um, 16-team league. We can go over the roster settings in a little bit. Um, but you just kind of want to give us a background of, of what this league is all about, uh, you know, how long it's been going on and, and how it all works.
3: Yeah, Nick, uh, I mean, I'm sure will you'll get, you'll get an invite to the league one of these days, but, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we try not to like, uh, get too much into our own leagues, but I, I do believe that this league does provide some, uh, interesting context and some insight as to what some people who are in the, in the industry are thinking, um, at this time about certain players and, and I noticed some, uh, some trends that we can get into a little bit, but in, uh, in this particular league, it's, uh, it's an auction format, $200 budget, uh, one QB, two running backs, three wide outs, a tight end kicker. We do IDPs. So that's uh, one defensive lineman, one linebacker, one DB and six bench uh, spots. And it's a non PPR format. So it's a league that we've been doing, um, at RotoWire since 2003. And to try to make a long story short, um, Right now, we got 16 teams going in it, and there is an East Division, or a Midwest Division, I should say, and a West Division. And in the West Division, it's comprised of people that are at or around the Los Angeles area. The Midwest one is obviously based out of our uh, Madison headquarters, and uh, so there's eight teams in each division, and the top four uh, point-scoring teams in the league um, get bought stakes by the bottom uh, four uh, point scoring teams in the league, and uh, we go to a fancy place in uh, Madison called the Tornado Room, LA. I believe it's uh, called Taylor's Steakhouse, but suffice to say, it's uh, the check gets a little large when people start ordering that third dessert, and uh, definitely a lot of trash talking. But uh, besides that, we actually play play out like a typical Super Bowl uh, with another cash prize. But um, it's definitely uh, it's 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 a good it's a good system uh, to uh, you know have a league with your friends where like. Uh, you go out for a dinner at the end of the year and uh the the winners eat and the and the losers buy. So uh, you know, throwing that out there as an idea for some uh folks looking to uh make their leagues a little bit more interesting. But um yeah, so uh you got some questions for me about that? Yeah, well first of all I wanted to ask have you ever won the league? Yes. Uh at l- least a couple times. Yeah, I think the last time I won was um two thousand it was either 2013 or 2012. I didn't win it last year. I know that. But who, I, who
1: is the defending champion, just out of curiosity?
3: Um, I, yeah, boy, you caught me off guard there. Not me. That's all I know. But I've, I've been in the league for seven years, and I've never had to buy a stake, and I'd like to keep it that way. That's um, pretty impressive. That's uh, a lot of luck. A lot of luck. But
1: uh, <laughs> all right, so I'll, let's, I'll take it. Let's talk about the draft. Uh, like you said, it's obviously excuse me, an auction format. Um, $200 budget, 17 players rostered, three of those being IDPs. Um, your team, the Madison Amendolas, uh, I was not surprised whatsoever to see that as the team name. Um, yeah, I guess I'll just ask you right away. What did you think of your team? How do you think the draft went?
3: Well, I mean, my typical instinct is to hate my team in the in-stake league. But in this in this instance, uh, it's, it's not terrible. I mean, I got myself a quarterback uh, in Ben Roethlisberger, who I think is going to be you know, a pretty safe pick. Um, Marshawn Lynch, as long as he stays healthy, stabi- a little stability at running back. Uh, I took my favorite tight end sleeper, Travis Kelsey, because I, I wasn't willing to go the distance in paying for a gronk. Uh, I mean, I was tempted to. And then I kind of put together a receivers who have been really good in the past, um, and I'm hoping for a bit of a bounce back uh, this year. All-star team with Andre Johnson, Brandon Marshall, um, and Mike Wallace. And of course I have, because I'm a Patriots fan, uh, I did get Julian Edelman, albeit at a solid value of $15. Uh, one of my favorite, uh, pickups and, you know, people might say that I slightly overpaid for him given the, the lack of, uh, re- results he's produced over the last couple of years is I got Doug Martin as my second running back for 17 bucks. And I think, uh, he's a definitely a bounce back candidate and, you know, put together with Lynch, in a 16-team league, if you have two running backs that get the majority of the carries, you're, you're ahead of the game.
1: Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, just guys that kind of stood out to you as far as the value that they went off the board at. Um, the most expensive player overall was Le'Veon Bell at $55, uh, Peterson just under him at 54 Jamal Charles $52. Um, so running backs definitely highly valued in this league, receivers as well. And um, Aaron Rodgers was the highest-paid quarterback. Uh, I think DVR paid $48 for him. Andrew Luck was down at $40. What do you make of the discrepancy there?
3: Well, I mean, we're a Madison-based league. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that has something to do with it. I think, but, I, but the truth is, is in a 16-team league, there is a certain advantage to, if, if you perceive one or two of the quarterbacks to be elite, and I think that's the general consensus that those two are, you, you do have an advantage if you're able to get one of them. But, of course, it's going to cost you in other areas. So you, in a 16-team league, you have to pick your spots. You, have, you can only be elite in one, maybe two spots, and then you just have to build around those guys. So uh, DVR, building around Rodgers uh, for $48, it's defensible. I thought Andrew Luck at 40 eh, that's an that's an all right value. Um, some of the other quarterbacks uh, that – I, I thought they were the better bargains overall because that allowed the the owners to build around them uh, with with uh, superior players. I mean, I, I paid twenty seven dollars for Roethlisberger, which that's okay, but you know maybe a slight overpayment. But in this particular draft, Peyton Manning went for twenty two dollars, Drew Brees went for twenty twenty five, and Tom Brady for fourteen. And uh, while this is an auction, I, I do I do feel that uh, it's it's going to be a recurring theme that those are the sort of quarterbacks that people are going to be able to get decent values on in drafts uh especially Peyton Manning but I mean Brady for 14 dollars uh if he if if he ends up playing all 16 games that's that's just a tremendous value and uh I don't know I think in drafts that's that's also going to be a a trend where people get him at a nice discount until things are resolved
1: Right, I think Brady at fourteen was a great steal. I think even Manning at twenty-two, kind of assuming that he takes a step back, is even a solid buy there. Ryan Tannehill at
3: nine dollars for Team Peter Shanky, I think, might be the best value of all, though. I mean, just in in, exactly in terms of sheer value, getting a guy who's going to be—I mean, he's he's on the rise, so he's he's easily a top ten fantasy quarterback. And nine dollars, it just you know it allowed him to uh, spend in other places. He's got himself, you know, got himself Matt Forte for thirty-four bucks. Uh, built his receiving core around Emmanuel Sanders and Randall Cobb. So, yeah, when you uh, when you save at quarterback, then you can uh, build elsewhere. You got he got one of the the few sure thing tight ends in Greg Olson for 18 bucks. And um, yeah, tight end is another position where it gets real scary after the first maybe four options. And I I promised myself that whatever I had to pay, even if I wasn't able to like. Go the distance on on the on the Gronk bidding that I was at least going to walk out with a tight end no worse than Greg Olson or, or Travis Kelsey. Um, obviously Jimmy Graham's the other the other tight end in that conversation. Um, I was actually hoping to because of uh, Le- Garrett Blunt's uh, recent injury, I was hoping to get him at a nice little discount and. Um, I was outbid for him and that's how I ended up with Doug Martin but that was actually going to be part of my master plan where uh Blunt Blunt was going to be my discounted running back to go along that with the full price one Marshawn Lynch but I think uh Blunt's injury concern is it's pretty much been eradicated the main concern there is that he's going to be suspended for the first game but he, he's a guy that in that offense I just think that he's going to see lots of carries um you know, there's, there's, there's definitely a pass catching back that needs to be determined there. But in terms of the every down, uh, early down work and in close, uh, a healthy blunt is, is going to be a solid option this year. So sure, You touched on the
1: tight end situation a little bit. Um, Gronk went for $42, Jimmy Graham all the way down at $29. Um, and obviously it's hard to predict from league to league depending on the size of the league, the roster settings, things like that. But do you expect there to be that big of a discrepancy in most auction type of
3: leagues this year? Yeah, I mean, I think Gronk is, I mean, Gronk is, uh, for the first time in a long time, and we're, I realize we're talking about auctions right now, but I do recall a time where if you took Tony Gonzalez as a tight end in the first round uh, during his prime with the Chiefs, that was a huge advantage because he was head and shoulders above the rest as a tight end. And I think a healthy Gronkowski, that is the, that's the perception this year. He's a highly defensible first-round pick. Um I mean, at worst, he's a he's a early second round pick because he is head and shoulders above the competition at tight end when he's healthy. Uh, Jimmy Graham is great, but he is moving from a ideal context uh, for a tight end, you know, catching passes from Drew Brees to a a solid one. But I mean, Lynch is going to pound the ball. Russell Wilson is going to run the ball himself. It's going to you know he's he's being brought in to be like a, a dynamic part of a balanced offense but not necessarily the focal point of it like he kind of was with the Saints so back to Gronk as long as he's healthy he is he's money in the bank now he did he did get through last year unscathed and and there's no reason to predict necessarily that you know he's due for an injury but he he had a bit of a checkered past in college uh, and as a pro, with with on the injury front, and you know, I believe that if he stays healthy, he's going to win people a lot of leagues, and in and in, in DraftKings a lot of money. But um, you know, there is that always the concern that you know he goes down, and and there goes your heavy investment on one player.
1: Right, and that's exactly something you have to consider when you're going to make that big of an investment, and you know, probably sacrifice some of the money that you might be able to throw at receivers. Um, speaking of receivers. Three that I wanted to talk about are the one, two, and three for the Green Bay Packers. Jordy Nelson went for $40, Randall Cobb, 33 and Devontae Adams, 20 So, you know, three guys that people were more than willing to to pay up for. How do you see this dividing up this year? You know, all the reports out of Green Bay this year that Devontae Adams has kind of made that next step. And I think in the playoffs last year, he showed that he was maybe ready to emerge as a 2-3 a slash type of guy for most teams. But in Green Bay... Yeah, you know, a lot of times he might be the third or fourth option when Eddie Lacy is available as well. So, I mean, is paying twenty dollars for Devontae Adams maybe a little bit of wishful thinking? Just because there's only so many targets to go around when you have two elite guys ahead of you. Well, it could be an
3: astute pick based on what the prices that were going towards the end of the auction for other less talented wideouts. Obviously, as the number three option uh, in any offense, there's there's a certain you know, see, you know, ceiling cap there, but. Um yeah as the number 3 op- uh, option in a great offense there's 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 going to be some value but if anything happens to Cobb or Nelson at all then he suddenly that that just looks awesome and uh I think that's a solid that's a solid gamble. Uh one one trend I noticed in this draft uh, in this auction and uh we you know I don't want to get uh, staggy with uh, all the numbers but the the top level wideouts they they were not going at a discount. I mean, Des Bryant, forty nine bucks. There's just there's just a lot of receivers in the uh, the forty to forty five dollar range, and people went after them hard and fast early in the draft, and um, definitely the, any, anyone who wanted one of the elite uh, wideouts paid a premium. And then there was a bit of a lull in the auction where you know people were being kind of not that aggressive, and suddenly. There got to be a point where there was a people, a, a bunch of people with a lot of money, and there was like no one worth bidding on. So towards the end of this auction, I, I saw a lot of like lesser talents going for for higher prices, and in that regard, you know, Adams for twenty dollars doesn't look so bad. And and even though I didn't get bargains on Andre Johnson seventeen bucks or Brandon Marshall twenty one bucks, I saw uh, some some guys panicking at the end of the auction and just paying. You know, twenty to thirty dollars for someone that was semi-useful because uh, typically in this stake league auction, there's a lot of value at the end game in the, in the one dollar category, but not, not so much this time. Um, that that reminds me for for my one dollar players, I got my, my backup running back and Robert Turbin, Jarek McKinnon, Peterson's backup. I got Joe Flacco for a dollar and uh, Bill's tight end Charles Clay for a dollar. So there's always there's always some, you know. <laughs> gold nuggets at the end of the, uh, the auction. But in this particular one, there was a uh, kind of a end game inflation. And uh, you always have to be careful of the, about that in auctions. One guy we talked about a little bit last week was Alan
1: Robinson. Uh, kind of talked about it in, in conjunction with Alan Hearns and Marquise Lee for the Jaguars. And me, you know, trying to sneak my Jaguars <laughs> allegiances into the podcast here. We'll keep this quick. Robinson went for $25, which I thought was a lot. And Marquise Lee went for $1. Um, uh, and yeah. maybe this is a situation where people are starting to run low on money with, with Marquis Lee. I just don't think there's
3: a $24 discrepancy between those two guys right now. Is that fair? Well, I think Robinson was part of that. Like, oh, wow, I have a lot of money and there's not much uh, talent left on the table thing. I mean, he could, he could easily merit that kind of uh, payment, but when you look around and you saw, see that like Alshon Dreyf- Jeffrey went for 33, that was actually a pretty good bargain. Um, you know, it, it. it in that offense, it's a little bit dubious, I would say. Um, I'm not even sure if Alan Hearns uh, was was taken in this. Um, I think he might be out there as a free agent. Um, uh, it uh, looks
1: like he, was, he went off the board for $1 to Team okay. DVR, so props to DVR for getting some Jags representation.
3: Yeah, I actually think that that's a pretty solid gamble there. And, of course, uh, yeah, um, Mar- Marquise Lee, although he seems to be battling the injury bug a lot, I, I do believe that you're right. You know, there's not really a $23 difference there between those three. Um, so, yeah, you got your Jaguars uh, plug in there.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, like I said, I try to keep it short. Um, I noticed Toby Gerhardt, speaking of the Jaguars, went undrafted. Just I'll shed a Shockingly. quick shed a quick tear there. Shockingly. <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, yeah, another guy I wanted to talk about, Amari Cooper. He went for $17, which, again, kind of comparing to Allen Robinson, that, that seemed like a pretty good yeah. value. Yeah. I think maybe – um you know whoever picked up robinson probably overpaid for him a little bit uh but 17 dollars, i think for cooper who has as much upside as any rookie yeah receiver, i think is a i kind of deal. got
3: like i froze there i want i wanted to get i wanted to go deeper in that bidding but i can't remember my exact uh excuse for the hesitation at that at that time but yeah you got to uh you, you got to go for it when you when you find a player that you like uh you know don't worry about paying a couple extra bucks because at the end of the, the end of the auction like I alluded to previously sometimes you find yourself just paying overpaying for for mediocre talent because there's just more money than talent on the table so you know i think the moral of the story is in auctions auctions are a fair way of doing it because if you really like a player you really want a player you can do you can go to the wall to get that player and build around that player, and and in drafts, it's kind of luck of the draw. You know, you get your you get your draft slot, and your team is kind of dictated by that. And in this um, regard, if you want Gronk, if you want to build your team around that top tight end, you can do it. If you want to build your team around the best quarterback, you can do it. If you want the the guy that you think is the best running back, you can do it. And there's a, there's always a trade off, but um, yeah, I just I, I just do think that it's the most equitable way of um, assembling fantasy teams. So. are you you in uh, many auctions in uh, football?
1: No, no, I'm not. And and you know, like I said, hopefully my turn will be coming for the stake league in the next few years here. I definitely want to get in on that, but uh, I've done auctions for basketball, but I'd never actually have for football. So hopefully that's something I can get into this year, because like you said, you know, it's a little bit, it's a nice mix up, I guess, you know, from the traditional drafting format when you're kind of at the mercy of your draft slot.
3: Yeah. I mean, really now there's like, there's three sort of um, ways you can go: uh, the, the auction, the the standard drafts, and then of course the daily games, which uh, which allows you if you if you mess up your auction or your draft or both, you can still you can still um, you know go right down to it and you know all the way through week seventeen every week with a weekly lineup. So it's pretty cool that uh, you you can stay engaged in fantasy all year. I I do recall prior to the explosion of daily games uh, situations where if you're the sort of person that just had a, you know, one or two teams and your team was doing badly, you might kind of tune out after like, you know, eight or 10 weeks of the season. But now, you know, it's, it's all season long excitement. All right. Any other guys you want to talk about from this draft? Um, let me just scroll through here. Um, I mean, I thought, I I don't know if I gave the specific price on Peyton Manning, but he went for $22, which which I, I thought was a fantastic bar value there. Um, Drew Brees at 25 was another good value. Basically, I kind of, I I got into a bit of a bidding war with uh, for Ben Ro- Roethlisberger. But my original plan was I, I kind of thought that I was going to be the guy that got Brady cheap, but I ended up with uh, with Roethlisberger. And I, I do I do feel that again in a 16 team league you want to have a good quarterback because um, you don't want to have to play the matchups as much, but um, yeah, there was a, uh, I mean, Todd Gurley went for 22 bucks. That's, that's either going to be awesome or kind of a, a bit of a waste. We'll see. Uh, his, his status to start the season is a little unclear. And I think uh, his backup Trey Mason, um, or not backup, uh, the, the the other component main component of that back uh, backfield went pretty cheap in that, um, in that auction. And I think uh, that's something that's probably going to um, happen in drafts as well. And, and, Anytime you can get a guy who can start, you know, even just a couple of games, there's value in that. And that's, for example, I, I picked up D'Angelo Williams in this uh, in this auction for five bucks. I mean, I, I get two starts out of him if I want, and maybe flip him to the uh, the you know, the Bell owner in the league. But uh, really, I mean, Jonas Gray, he went, he was an end game pick, a couple bucks, but you know, he's going to get a start uh you really just need to find guys that are going to start and it, whether it's uh auction draft or daily that's you there's a tendency to like want to draft backups and handcuffs and everything but you you, w- you just want guys you're going to play and um that's a bit of a takeaway there
1: yeah yeah i think that just about covers all of it um thank you for listening to the roto wire fantasy football podcast especially thank you for listening to the jaguars portion of that, that- podcast the podcast is, of course, brought to you by DraftKings.com, the leader in daily fantasy sports. Use the promo code ROTOWIRE when you make your deposit on DraftKings for a free contest today. Also, be sure to check out ROTOWIRE.com free for 10 days, of premium access, no strings attached, by going to ROTOWIRE.com slash pod. Alongside Mike Doria, I am Nick Whalen. We will be back with you on this podcast next Wednesday. Jake Latarski and Clay Link will actually be on tomorrow as the host, so be sure to listen in for that.
3: All right, thanks, Nick. Talk to you next week. They're going to kill the love of my life. If I don't go
0: back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal a truck. Bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course, it's dangerous. Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide, in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13.